Hi, everybody. Welcome to Millwood and Micah Discovering Avatar. My name is Amanda Millwood, and I'm a screenwriter, actor, director, and a fan of Avatar The Last Airbender. Flamio Hotman. My name is Todd Micah. I am author of Tales from Grimgard, an anthology of dark fantasy, as well as the Grimgard role-playing game, and I have never been so hyped about a season of Avatar <laughs> The Last Airbender until now, because we have arrived... Ooh. In season three of Avatar, and if you've been following along with us, you know that we've been reviewing the entire series from start to finish. We did uh, season one. We did the Avatar The Last Airbender movie. Um, yeah. <laughs> we did season two, and we have finally arrived at book three, Fire. I've you, You've been really, I mean, you hyped season two a lot. But now here we are at season three, and you you also fired me up. I, I promise that one was not scripted. But you fired sure, me up. You fired me up with a thirst reel for season three after we concluded last time, just to just to get me all ready for what was what was coming. Oh yeah, I I made Todd watch the um the fire or I guess the season three fire trailer that was shown at Comic Con uh, back before the season premiered. And that was one of the first trailers I ever remember seeing as a kid. And I watched that thing about a million times. I had never been more hyped for anything in my life than I was for season three because of that trailer. Um, and I still watch it to this day just because it gives me chills. 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 It's book three. Fire. It should be giving you sweats. It was giving me <laughs> sweats. Me hot flashes. <laughs> right. Well, well, the hot, hot flash for today is episodes one and two of season three. And we're starting off with episode one, The Awakening. As always, some statistics on the episode it is written by Aaron Ihaj. It, we only took a week off between seasons one and two, and yet I feel like, oh, we're returning back to old friends after so long. Right. Yeah, and then uh, it's directed by a good old Giancarlo Volpi, who is still my favorite director in the show. Like, uh, He's very good. You know, a lot... A lot of times crew will change hands and we're about to get to the animation that you told me is different. But, you know, there's a lot of names from season one and season two that, you know, they're there for most of it. But, like, we're not going to see them as much. And so mm -hmm. um, I, uh, I'm i happy to see familiar names. I was, like, a little bit worried. I was like, are they going to move on to other projects? You know, they're not the show no. creators. <laughs> okay, good. Um, and it is animated by, we were just talking about it, is it Moy Animation? Yes, Moy Animation. And I gotta tell you, it's gorgeous. It's really, yeah. really nice. I love Moy Animation and what they're bringing to the table for Avatar. And you want to know a fun fact about Moy Animation? Is it part of your fun facts? Is this a bonus fun fact? <laughs> this is a bonus fun fact. Because <laughs> mm -hmm. it doesn't ahead, have anything ahead. to do with the episode itself. Um, but Moy Animation actually is a uh, break-off animation uh, production company from DR Movie. So this is this basically the same team of people, but they broke off and they made their own animation team. Um, so it's it's higher animation quality, I think, personally. Yeah, so, it is. Yeah, I think it really worked out. <laughs> Best of the best must have broken away and been like, yeah, don't tell us how to draw. We know how to draw. And we're, and honestly, I got to tell you, you know, I made a comment and it was it was one of the hottest takes was in the season two finale. Um, mm -hmm. uh, the Crossroads of Destiny. 
I had made the bold statement that I didn't think that the animators brought their best work to the table. I was very surprised uh, for it being JM animation. I did a double take and I was like, this is JM animation. And the best I could credit to was that, like I said, sometimes there's one particular animator who puts in their work, their, you know, his keyframes and his, his final lines are usually what's on it. And maybe he just didn't show up or wasn't on this particular episode for whatever reason. And I thought that the animation quality took a dip. So I got to tell you, I feel like at least starting out here, Moy might have dethroned uh, Jam Animation for the highest quality. I don't know. <laughs> We'll see. <laughs> uh, this episode aired September 21st, 2007, and the IMDb rating of episode one, The Awakening, is 8.6 out of 10. So we've got some fun facts here, too. Um, in the two weeks that Aang was sleeping, he is seen or he is seen for the first time with hair. Also, this is the first time that Sokka is seen with a full head of hair. <laughs> Lots of hair in this episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, also, Katara's hair is also, like, super long, too. So, I'm like, Katara <laughs> also grew out her hair a little more. Yes. Um, this was a huge shock to me as a kid. Because, and it's so funny, because literally, as I was watching the trailer, for some reason, with seeing Aang with hair, even though you can see his arrow, I was like, who is that? <laughs> like, it's <laughs> literally, like dumb what was a nine-year-old me was like who is that character is that a new airbender because <laughs> i don't you know really didn't recognize him the the visual association with the character is really strong when we're young so in a way it doesn't surprise me um so when i was a kid my dad he had a, a mustache that was i he always had a mustache he had a mustache when he was younger he always had a mustache and then he was like mm, you know i think i'll do i think i'll shave my mustache off oh, no. and when we saw him as kids we did the little kid thing where he walked in the very first time and we didn't know and we like burst out crying and like wouldn't go near him because we're like who is that <laughs> it's the imposter Right. I remember my mom was so mad. She was like, you grow that mustache. Oh, my God. <laughs> right now. <laughs> right. No, no, it's true. Because, like, you know, Aang being bald is so iconic with just his overall appearance that, yeah, seeing him with hair for the first time was really weird. But, like, obviously you grow to, like, like it. And, you know, it makes sense uh, as time goes by because time has gone by within the story. Um, and he's been knocked out this whole time. But it, it is just funny thinking back, being like, I had no idea that, that was Aang. <laughs> like when the trailer came out and it showed him with hair. Um, so our second fun fact is that this episode marks the first time that we see Fire Lord Ozai's whole face, particularly his eyes. In the previous episodes, his face was only ever partially shown on screen. So, yeah, it's and it's so funny because, like, again, as a kid, you're kind of associating what or what you think his face is going to look like with his voice which is very you know deep and monstrous and it's mark hamill doing like a more serious joker voice and so um mm -hmm. you know i was not expecting him to be like a normal handsome looking guy like i thought he was gonna have like some sick battle scars or like you know burn marks disfigurement yeah and then it just turns out no he's just like a totally normal handsome looking guy and you're like wow that somehow makes him even scarier because he's just a normal guy <laughs> well plus on top of it on top of it he doesn't even just like look like a handsome guy when i first saw him the first thing i thought to myself was he looks literally like a combination of Zuko and Azula. 
Like mm-hmm. I was picking out features of like both of them and the way he looks. And was, it looks like they took one of those things, you know, where they you take one person, <laughs> the other person, and you like blend their faces together. It's like mm-hmm. perfectly between them. It's, it's kind of it's yeah. cool. Yeah. Um, and our third and final fun fact for this episode is that Aang's scar is right in the middle of his back and separates his tattoo, which symbolizes his disconnection to the Avatar state. So first things first, that scar is horrendous. <laughs> Like it is something else. I told you, I was like, they could have so easily made that not look as serious as it actually was. You know, he literally killed him. But no, like when Katara is healing that wound, you could see like veins and like it looks like it's deep. And I'm like, oh, that is disgusting. (laughs) Um, (laughs) It's rough. Yeah. Um, and again, they don't shy away and it stays there for the entire rest of the series. Um, so it's it's really it shows just how much that that impacted him and just how dangerous, you know, this story has become and where a main character could get seriously injured like that. Um, but uh, also, you know, it's symbolizing his disconnection to the Avatar state. Um, you know, you haven't really seen it yet because we've only watched the first couple episodes of season three. But um, the he is not able to go into the Avatar state anymore. So that is kind of a big thing because like that was going to be his ace in the hole when fighting the Avatar, not the Avatar, the Fire Lord. So it's kind of a, yeah, like, wow, we have one less advantage over the Fire Nation and the Fire Lord than we did before he got hurt. And that's not good. So, so how's, keep... how's he going to fight Fire Lord Ozai when the meteor shows up and he goes into the Hotman state? What's he going to do? I don't know. I guess we'll just have to wait and find out. <clears throat> I guess so. I guess so. So the episode is is really jarring because the episode deals with a ton of the fallout from the season two finale, which is just a gut punch. In fact, it's several Mm -hmm. gut punches. In fact, it's like us against the ropes, the audience and the writers are just kidney punching (laughs) us left and right over and over again. Everything from, you know, Zuko's betrayal and, and joining in with Azula and betraying, um, uncle Iroh. It's got, you know, Aang getting hurt and having to be rescued. Um, but I love how, first of all, I really love how they brought us back into it, where it just mm-hmm. starts in with Aang and he's waking up and we're following right along with him. I mean, he is the titular character after all. And so we're just as confused as he is. He's on a Fire Nation ship. And at first I was like, what happened to Uncle Iroh? Did Uncle Iroh like escape with them? Like, like, did he give them his ship? and like they Mm -hmm. they actually all escape together and so i like the way the storytelling is a progressive revelation of where we are um Mm -hmm. you know everyone is there they're in fire nation disguises no turns out arrow is not with them but i gotta tell you everyone looks real good in red everyone looks great (laughs) yeah no fire nation fashion really suits the gang it really looks good at it really looks good at him, especially my boy Sokka. He's looking he's looking sharp there in the red. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I do like the kind of subverting of expectations in the opening scene when you know Aang is first waking up. It's you know the literally the first shot is him waking up. And all we see is just, you know, Fire Nation banners and the ship, and you're just really confused and you're like, wait, oh my god, did he actually did they get captured when they were flying away? Like, what's happening? Is Azula there? Is Zuko there? Like, what's going on? Um, 
And then, you know, he gets to the top of the deck and yeah, he sees everybody and he sees Sokka and Katara, Toph and uh, their father, Hakoda. And, um, you know, and then he just can't even like really cope with it. He just passes out again, which is very <laughs> funny. Um, but he was getting those hot flashes. Literally. Um, and so, yeah. And I really like that, you know, he he kind of is the audience, as you're saying, you know, we're, we're very much, you know, seeing this from his point of view and how confusing and disorienting all of this is and how he has to get caught up um, from Sokka and Katara and everybody. And, um, and, you know, it's, I, I could see some people being like, Oh, this is just like a, I don't know, a, a cheap, lazy way instead of showing, just telling what's been happening in the two weeks since he passed out. But like, again, because, we're seeing it from his point of view, who's been, you know, he's been unconscious all this time. It makes sense that he would need a catch me up just like we do. And so I want to talk real quick. Cause like, we don't usually go in order. So might as well just <laughs> throw order out the window. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, I, I think honestly, well, my two favorite scenes, I'll talk about both of them now, but one of my favorite scenes mm -hmm. in this episode is when we do go to the Fire Nation and we see Zula and Zuko's return home. They're like triumphant hero return. And oh my God, it gets me so hyped every time. <laughs> like you Where like the two ladies are announcing everything mm -hmm. as the two of them are like coming in. Yeah, they've mm -hmm. got like the whole, you know, Fire Nation just like out to, you know, cheer them on. And they've got these giant balcony that they're coming out, kind of like a royal, mm -hmm. you know, greeting or whatever. And, you know, first right. they first they bring out Azula and then they hype up Zuko. And it's just like, yes, yes, here we go. <laughs> and it just gets me so hyped because like, you know, even though obviously this is not a good thing for Zuko to have this happen. Like, I kind of feel good about it. Like, you know, it's mm -hmm. like he finally right. he deserves this. <laughs> like everyone has shunned him and hated him and fought him and you know disrespected him all this the past two seasons and now suddenly people are cheering his name exalting him as the fire nation prince that he is and it just makes me so happy and i'm gonna say it this might be a hot take um not like a serious one but uh -huh. this uh -huh. this is my favorite look of zuko's i think he looks so damn hot in this scene in this episode in yeah. general, but like it's specifically in this scene, the top, the kind of loose top knot, the armor, mm -hmm. like the kind of brooding, you know, <laughs> just like, yes, King, I love this look on him. Um, yeah, that's well, we, that's like we haven't even seen him in Fire Nation armor since like season one. Mm -hmm. It's been a minute. So it's been a minute. I mean, the ladies love a man in uniform, and gotta tell you, I already complimented these Fire Nation looks. Like, I thought Sokka looked good in the armor. Nothing on Zuko <laughs> finally back where he belongs. Right? Yeah, I just, oh, I love it. Um, and the other, okay, so actually I have three favorite, I'm sorry, <laughs> three favorite scenes. This is a really good episode. Um, <laughs> I was like, there's a lot of stuff here to unpack. I think I'll sit back and sip my water a little bit. and uh... <laughs> Right. Just let me go mm -hmm. off. Um, go off, queen. <laughs> go off, future queen. Um, <laughs> but uh, my other favorite scene is actually also between uh, Zuko and Azula. And it is the bedchamber scene. This, yeah. I can see. I'm like, mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. <laughs> this scene. Yep. I was going to mention it, too. Well, here, you go ahead, and then I'll follow up since I just talked. <laughs> go ahead. I just, 
so so you're talking about the scene where where he comes in and confronts her about why it is that she let him take the credit right Mm -hmm. about killing avatar avatar the avatar right (laughs) and and she pretty much is like oh yeah no it's fine like i just you know wanted you to 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 get get what you what you deserve and then she's like well you know on the other hand though all this basically counts on the avatar being actually dead so if he's not actually dead then it'll all be just like embarrassment and mm-hmm. every shame but like pff, you got nothing to worry about right right and it's played so well and here's what i like about it so i i have such an appreciation for azula and and her villainous evil twisted nature but i gotta tell you season two while she's good in it by the end of it she is less conniving and just more like angry ragey lightning and fire villain Mm -hmm. and she's mostly just like ferocity it's great to see her back in a sort of conniving manipulative sort of role and you know it it, it suits her really well we get to appreciate the nuances of the character Mm -hmm. and she just does it so well oh yeah the emotional complexity of the scene of her like maneuvering this around Zuko and just like playing off of his his anger and his confusion at her and then like I don't know there's a lot in it like unpack more of it for us well just for starters (laughs) this scene is probably the closest that Avatar ever has gotten to Game of Thrones and I know that Game of Thrones came after Avatar but like just for comparison's sake and I mean that in more than one way (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm. because on the one hand yeah exactly this is literally like this is the kind of dialogue and the kind of interplay between characters that you would see on game of thrones the manipulation Mm -hmm. the digging into one's fears and kind of like poking at them because you know that they're vulnerable um and you know it's just it's amazing and it's great psychological warfare, which I think is what Azula is best at. You know, she's an incredible fighter, but I think she's even better when she's fighting mentally with somebody. Um, but also, the other, on the other hand, <laughs> this is so funny. This is a weirdly sensual scene. <laughs> like it's a weirdly provocative setting. Yeah. <laughs> Because it's in her bedchamber and she's like lying in bed when he comes in. Yeah. And, she... and I'm just like, this is wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this gives me severe Cersei and Jamie Lannister vibes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Like you could cut the sexual tension of that scene with a knife. And I even noticed that as a kid. I'm like, um, they're siblings. Uh, but yeah, so it's a it's a great scene. It's just funny that that's the kind of vibe that I get from it. But I will say, mm-hmm. I was talking about Zuko uh, and his best look. Honestly, I love the way Azula looks in that scene, like with the hair down, because it's in a ponytail. But like she and has, she's not wearing any makeup yeah, either. Yeah, it just it makes her look really different, but like in a good way. I'm like, wow, yeah. like yeah. it actually makes her look somewhat her age. <laughs> she's supposed to be 14, <laughs> um, but... which makes all of it even more wrong. I know. It's like this is so weird, but I love it. Um, Sweet home Game of Thrones, right? Or since we're we're in House of Dragon territory now, like they're the Targaryens. <laughs> but um, oh, no, yes. <laughs> Go watch House of the Dragon, guys. If you have it, it's so good. Um, but this yeah. is not a paid promotion. No. <laughs> 
but yeah no it's it's a great scene i love it and it's only like a minute long but it's like i wish that we had more scenes like it honestly just because i think the dialogue is so good and the interactions between the two of them are so good um they have one of the most interesting and twisted relationships out of any of the other you know characters within the show mm-hmm. um yeah. And we don't really get to see mo- a lot of it, honestly. Like, we see a bit more of it in a future episode. But, like, I wish that we saw more of it, honestly. Because it's become such a big thing by the finale. Like, the re- relationship between the two of them. But um, mm-hmm. I feel like they could have done it even more. Like, had more scenes or more episodes dedicated to fleshing yeah. it out. Um, but, uh, anyway. You know what I really love in the... And what I really, really like in the episode, since we're on the topic of Zuko mm-hmm. uh, along with Azula, is there's a lot in this episode. There's a lot in this episode of. I don't know a better way to break into it than to say Zuko's feelings, but the conflict being very palpable mm-hmm. because he's so back and forth in so many ways. Taking the scene we're just talking about as an example, you know, he bursts in on Azula demanding to know what she's really up to and everything. And he's really assertive, but then there's also that vulnerability where he's kind of a little bit of that vulnerable um, sincerity that was born into him in season two mm-hmm. really is still hanging around and is showing itself because there's that line where he goes you know you're you're up to something and you like i just i haven't figured out what it is yet and he's just really honest about it mm-hmm. it's not accusatory he's not like i don't know what it is but i'll figure it out it's not that he's like it's literally him almost being like look just tell me because you're lying to me but like just tell me what it is Mm -hmm. i just haven't figured it out what's your angle sort of way yeah right he wants to know her angle is but he expresses it in a vulnerable almost almost soft kind of a way an admission that she has the advantage and he just doesn't want to play the game Mm -hmm. springboarding off what you just said i think he is just so tired because he's done literally nothing but chase the avatar and go on like this incredible journey for the past two seasons. And now he's gotten what he finally has always wanted, which is, you know, the love of his family, his, his title back, his honor, like everything mm-hmm. he's ever wanted. And now he's just kind of tired. He's like, wow, what do I do now? <laughs> like, and yeah. now, well, yeah. And it's interesting that you would use the, the thought that he's tired about it. You know, we've made a lot of comparisons and I want to dwell on really a lot here on where Zuko is. Cause it's, it's, like Aang, sure, we'll talk about Aang, but Zuko. Mm-hmm. But Zuko. <laughs> so so I want to dwell on it a little bit more because you know we come we compare Zuko a lot to Kylo Ren, mm-hmm. Ben Solo, because there's a lot that is just you can compare them side by side and they chuck off a ton of the same boxes. Mm-hmm. But I want to take for a second his fall to the dark side, so to speak, mm-hmm. between the episode or the season two finale and here in season three. Right. So it was a really, really long time before my mom, this is a, this is a funny story, but it, it, her insight on these things is amazing. And I will never forget this. It was a really, really long time before my mom saw revenge of the Sith. And because my mom was like, ah, uh, I, this movie, my mom had watched all the star Wars movies, but she held out on it. Cause she's like, I know it's going to be really depressing. I know a whole lot of people are gonna die. Like I'm, I really don't want to. I don't want to watch a movie that, like, I don't know. I feel like they're gonna try to make the evil look like cool, and it's not. I want, like, if people are evil, I want to hate them in a movie. So I'm having right. a real 
bad taste in her mouth, didn't want to see the movie for a long time. When she finally caved and saw it, she likes it as much as any of the others. But it was almost like you being a big fan of Avatar and then me coming in with a fresh perspective on it, having never seen it before, where she watched Revenge of the Sith and saw Anakin Skywalker fall of the dark side. And when I asked her what she thought on it, she offered a perspective I'd never thought of before, where she went... Well, of course he fell to the dark side. Like, literally everyone was on him, and it was the easiest thing to do. Mm-hmm. And I was like, wait, what? And she said, no, think about it. Like, everyone was putting pressure on him. It, the Jedi was like, spy on the Chancellor. The Chancellor is like, spy on the Council and be my special representative. The, the, his wife is like, why don't you go to him and intervene, ask him to stop the war? Everyone and everything is piling on this guy. He's got bad dreams and no one can help him. He's got a vision of the future. And when it finally, when, when, when the call to the dark side hits him, it's not like, oh, go do this and and your life will be so, you'll have all this responsibility and you'll have all this power. No, the lure of the dark side is, you know, it'd be so much easier and you could actually forget about all this stress, the dark side, mm-hmm. because then you can just relax and get everything you want and all the burden will be off of you. You'll do some horrible things, but in the end, you can just... It'll feel so good. And my mom's right. like, of course it makes sense. Everyone's on him. And I feel like that comparison right now to Zuko really hits me when you say he is just so tired. He just wants to be done with it all. It's hard fighting. It's hard chasing the Avatar. It's hard being in poverty. It's hard recalibrating your entire personality in a fever dream. Yeah. <laughs> Having a literal like midlife crisis at age of 14. <laughs> uh yeah no it's 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 hard and by the way i i I was kind of shocked that they mentioned this they said zuko's been gone for three years now you said 14 isn't he 15 is he 15 no he's 16 i don't know why i said 14 16 okay okay well because we're talking about azula and azula's 14 right um so zuko's 16 he got exiled when he was 13 years old Mm mm-hmm that's a lot. Yeah. He wants to be home to enjoy being a teenager for the few years he has left. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah, he's tired. So you know, he doesn't want to play games with Azula. He just wants to relax. Yeah, you know what it also reminds me of? Um, and this might be not be the best comparison, but it's what I'm thinking of at the moment. Um, back in 2020, when they had first... Actually, no, sorry, it was 2021. Um COVID vaccines were like readily available everywhere by that time. And I had yet to get one. And so I was working in California at a nursing home where it wasn't necessarily mandatory, but they recommended that we get one. So I was like, all right, fine, I'll get it. Like it's free, whatever. Um, So like, I don't do needles at all. (laughs) That is like one of my biggest fears. I have like a phobia of needles. So I was horrified And I kept building it up in my mind as I do, because I freak out over stuff like that. And so the day comes, the doctors come to the nursing home. Thank God I don't have to go to the doctor. And I'm like sitting in the chair and I'm like freaking out. (laughs) And I turn away because I don't want to look. And I wait for a couple seconds and the doctor's like, done. And I'm like, did you do it? And he's like, yeah, you're all done. And he he even put the Band-Aid on. And I was like, oh okay and so i had to go and sit for 15 minutes and like let the medicine get you know through my yeah yeah, whatever 
And I started to cry then as I was sitting for like 15 minutes, I just started to cry. And one of the older people that had just gone to shot before me was like, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I just was really building this up in my head and I have to like let it out because <laughs> it didn't hurt at all. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like that's exactly what is going on with Zuko. Like he has been building up to this moment his entire life and now it's here mm -hmm. and he just doesn't know what to do. He's like, wait, I never thought I'd get this far. <laughs> like, and it's just, I totally relate to that. Cause like, once you have everything you've ever wanted, like, where do you go from there? What do you do? Right. <laughs> Well, then the fact that he went to go see his father, the Fire Lord, and when he did, it was kind of anticlimactic. He didn't have to, like, plead for forgiveness. He didn't have to, like, beg to be accepted back. He didn't need to make some sort of emotional plea or anything. He walked up, knelt down, and was like, hi. And his dad was like, hey, son. He was like <laughs> the back. prodigal son. And, yeah, welcome back. Where you been for three years, buddy? We missed you around here. Hey, that whole action thing with the fire, it was like a long time ago. You're looking good. I think it's a little smaller now. Dad, it but... was three years ago. It wasn't that long ago. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's, yeah, no, you're right. And it's like, again, I just think that Zuko has no idea what to do with these hands that he's been dealt now being back home with his family and his dad and his honor, like, because that's all he's ever known during the show, at least is just, I want all of that back. And now he's got it. And he's like, well, shit. <laughs> What do I do now? Well, and the fact that he's used to having Uncle Iroh around for support and advice and counsel, and even though he's back where he has always said he thought he belonged, he's more alone than ever. Because the person who's always been his conscience and his guide and his mentor and his friend is in a jail cell because mm -hmm. he put him there. And the and and kind of finishing what I was saying earlier about it to come back to it, you know, there's more of that back and forth. He goes in there and he's all, you know, trying to talk to him and everything and, and appeal to him and talk to him and, plea and, and then justify almost to himself, justify out loud why Iroh is there. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I think we've pretty, pretty much covered Zuko, but let's talk about Aang now, because he's also got some pretty interesting stuff going on character wise this episode. Yeah, no, he's got the whole the the angry ang the angry the ang that puts the ang and angry is back um the angst yes the <laughs> angst um boy it's sure they're right from the start like as soon as he's back in his room and katara's talking to him and everything boy the weight of the world is back on this kid's shoulders and he is so mad about having let everyone down he's so frustrated with himself just wow yeah and it's a lot and you totally get where he's coming from because this has already happened once and when he disappeared the first time the air nomads were wiped out and the hundred year war was started so now he feels like even if it's only been a couple of weeks that he's been out of commission he still feels like yeah i failed i can't go into the avatar state anymore what good am i if i am just like this beaten down injured non-avatar state avatar like I failed, <laughs> like I went down with Bossing Say, and that's really rough. I mean, he's not wrong, but also at the same time, I think that he's kind of conflating him disappearing for a hundred years to you know being out of commission for a couple weeks. But it makes sense why right. he would do that because you know that's yeah. I mean, he he shouldn't, but you know, but it, you know, the, at the same time, you could see how he'd blame himself. After all, the whole reason why he was sealed in the iceberg was his own fault because he ran away. 
And this time he didn't run away. He faced the problem head on, just like he'd been trained to do, you know, over there in the Dirt Nation, that he was supposed to face everything head on, like a boulder coming at him. And when he did, the boulder rolled over him. Well, more more to be exact, the boulder struck him with lightning, but right. <laughs> the metaphors are getting a little mixed, but you get where I'm saying. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and it's... Um... I think that this is such a brilliant and it's not subtle at all, but um, it's such a brilliant visual cue when he's talking to Katara and she asks, you know, is there anything that you need? And he says, I need my honor back. And it's like half of his face as he's saying it. And then the camera, you know, turns over and we see Zuko's half, the scarred half of the face as he's walking to see his father to basically regain his mm -hmm. honor. And I'm just like, mm -hmm. oh, the visual storytelling. I love it. And not just visual storytelling for the characters, but also just the comparisons between the two of them, like how Aang and Zuko are so tightly linked character-wise. Um, it's so, so well done. I love it. It's like they're a dyad. <laughs> I mean, they kind of are in a way. <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> and that actually... I'm not even really joking about that. You'll see in a future episode um, that that's actually quite an apt comparison, to be honest. So you'll you'll see. <laughs> there, there's a lot of things that the Star Wars sequel trilogy drew from Avatar. <laughs> a, a, a lot of those things. One of which I wanted to bring up, and you might hate this comparison. <laughs> oh boy. Because it's from your favorite movie of all time, no. The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, gross. <laughs> Come on now, is it is it not your second is it not your second lowest rated Star Wars movie? Because I know which one is your lowest. I know you hate the Phantom Menace. <laughs> it is my second least favorite because at least it has the characters that I love. <laughs> but you know they're just getting butchered. It's fine. <laughs> We're dying. Okay, but where I'm but where I'm going with this though, as I'm watching this, you know, I'm making the comparisons as I do all the time. They're kind of vivid the comparisons between uh, Star Wars sequel trilogy like like kylo ren slash ben solo with zuko but then i'm watching ang on the waves and he sees the piece of driftwood and next thing i know he's got his his glider out like a sail and i'm like oh look it's ray like on the wave rider the sailor going right. to the death star across the water determined against her friend's wishes unable to turn back and possibly going to her doom or darkness and i'm like oh look it's a very similar character arc somebody watched this episode and was like okay guys i know what to put on page 45 of the script how what we're gonna do we're gonna have ray do what ang does and leave all her friends behind in a sort of an act of like pseudo rebellion slash betrayal of their trust and like no i have to make this right right wow good wow. stuff guys let's do that but worse <laughs> when we did that but worse yes yeah i know and i i absolutely love that scene um that was actually well oh my god there's four wow there's four scenes that i love in this episode like every time we mention a new one i'm like wait a minute i love this scene too but i do love the scene of um ang and he's trying to you know you're not even really sure what he's doing or like what his plan is much like zuko he just kind of was like you know what screw it i'm just gonna go and so he's just kind of in the middle of the ocean you don't really know where he's heading or what the plan is but um and he gets swept away into a storm of course because it's just like ang's curse <laughs> so um and he you know he realizes wow 
this was really dumb. I'm going to fail yet again because this was stupid. And Yue uh, appears to him. And, you know, she's Mm -hmm. like, you've already saved the world and you'll save the world again, but you can't give up. And, you know, that kind of gives him a a boost. And he's like, you're right. I won't give up. And and he talks to Avatar uh, Roku. Oh, yeah. And he's talking to Avatar Roku, which, again, will tie into a future episode. One of my favorites, I'll add, um, where Roku basically tells him, like, listen, kid. I I had I did a lot of mistakes when I was Avatar and you inherited them. I'm really sorry about that. Like, but I know you can make it right. And then UA appears. Um mm-hmm. and so, you know, Aang gets like really fired up. He's like, I won't give up. And he summons this giant wave, and UA actually lifts it to make it even bigger. And it the music swells, mm-hmm. and I'm just like, Yeah, baby, let's go. <laughs> like it's so yeah. the Avatar theme is mwah cinema um but uh yeah so i love that and then you have this is this scene breaks my heart every single time katara talking to her dad this yeah this is in my opinion may whitman who voices katara this is her best performance as katara this like two minute monologue that she gives i i full disclosure i i actually cried during the scene really Oh yeah. my god. Yeah, it's so good. And I believe now this this could be totally not mm-hmm. true, but I read somewhere way back when that Mae Whitman herself actually was crying when delivering this monologue and that she had to do it so many times because like she was just crying the whole time and she couldn't like get out the words. Um so yeah, it's like some genuine emotion that you're hearing in her voice and in, you know, the animation and it is so good and just the way that you know she's talking to her dad and the responses that he gives and as someone that's a huge daddy's girl like this this just hits me hard because like you know i know there's nothing that my family wouldn't do for me and how hard it is when you have to sacrifice something like what hakoda had to do by going off to war and leaving his kids like that must have been the hardest thing he'd ever had to do but he knew that he had to do it um to protect his family and his tribe and all that and you know, Katara understands that. She makes it very clear that I know why you had to do what you did, but I'm still angry and about it that you left. And you know what? No, it hit very similar to me because I was watching the scene. I'm like, why am I crying? And it and it reminded me um, of another yet another Star Wars reference here because when we have a great, awesome, epic episode, we just have to compare it to all the Star Wars movies. Mm-hmm. Um, was Rogue One? when uh jen urso is watching the hologram of her dad explaining basically the same thing that he's like i needed to go away and do what i needed to do and it kept you safe and i'm I, everything i've done i've done for you and there wasn't a moment i didn't think of you and i ball my eyes out every single time i watch that scene too it's really good they're both great scenes um and I don't know. There's just something that hits differently. And again, maybe it is just because I'm a girl with a dad, but like that I love very much, but like dad and daughter scenes like really hit me in my, in my feels. Um, It's a really great scene. And that kind of leads into um, the gang going to find Aang and he's on this little volcanic Island patch, whatever. And, um, and he's, you know, washed up and they find him and his glider is completely wrecked by the storm. And this is kind of a big symbolic moment of him letting go of the last 
heirloom that he had of the air nomads when he burns his glider because he knows that if anybody saw it it would give away who he was and that was like it's really emotional because you're like wow you know he's so protective of that of that glider you know if you think back to season two when you know he was talking with Toph because she was using it to crack open nuts and he was like it's a delicate instrument Mm -hmm. and he was getting so mad at her for you know using it the way it wasn't supposed to be used and now suddenly he has to make this very hard decision to burn it and get rid of this last because he doesn't have his you know air nomad clothes anymore he doesn't have his glider right and it's just like yeah all of his identity as an air nomad is basically being stripped away by you know this whole encounter and it's it's really emotional but well well you know and on top of it too you know we've seen throughout the series like when oppa was kidnapped we see how fiercely ang protects the things from his past and it's Aang is such an interesting multi-layered character because on the one hand it's easy for somebody to say well look he well he's holding on to things from his past because they're not there anymore the air nomads are gone you know um he doesn't have any other monks to to talk to so you know his connection to the past is is very precious um there's friends there he can't talk to anymore it's not like he could go back and replace this stuff so of course of course it's there but there's another dimension to it, I think, that is is the dark side of the character, a duality to this attachment that Aang's connection to his past symbolizes his guilt. Mm-hmm. He left the Air Nomads, and therefore he wasn't there to help them or save them when the Fire Nation showed up and killed all of them. He couldn't prevent the war. He wasn't there until things have gotten as bad as they've gotten. Mm-hmm. And so in his mind, they're all dead because of him. And just like he's feeling the weight of failure now, his willingness to let go of something from the past is his ability to put the past in the past, Mm -hmm. to take his connection and stop looking back at the monks and say, I failed you. And to symbolically burn a connection, not to the air nomads themselves, but a connection to a past that he associates with failure and regret and guilt. And so by burning it, he's freeing himself from the past and he's not looking back any longer. He's looking forward. And I loved that moment. I didn't even really think about it that way, but you're absolutely right. Like, you know, I always saw that as a sad thing because, like I said, he's burning the last remaining artifact of of the air nomads. But... Yeah, you're right. I guess they could also be seen as like a, not really triumphant, but like a, you know, kind of somber, yeah, acceptance and moving on of, you know, the past. But yeah, it's a really great way to kind of end the episode and just like on that, you know, very, like I said, it's kind of somber note. Um, But uh, yeah, so overall, I think that this is a really good episode. Like, and it's funny because this isn't really one of those episodes that I really think much about when I think of like my favorite episodes, but like watching it now, I'm just like, man, they pack so much into this first episode character wise. And it really just like, just really good. Uh, It's probably honestly my favorite um, opening episode of any of the seasons of Avatar. Gonna be honest. Yeah. It's a really, really, really strong start. Um, I am gonna give it a strong eight point seven out of ten. Ooh, all right. I think I'm gonna give this one a nine out of ten. I'm gonna give it Wow. Yeah. <laughs> it's not quite a nine point five, but I think that it deserves to be in the upper echelon of episodes because it is especially after this 
in most recent watching, a very, very strong episode and a very strong opener to season three. I think it falls into the category of ones that it's not like it's an action-packed episode. There's not like fun fight scenes and stuff. It's very narrative heavy, but it's very character heavy. Mm -hmm. And so the rewatchability for like fun and want to put on a, a great episode, that's not the first one that comes to mind. I could see that. But yeah, it's very, very good. It deserves every bit of a high rating. So mm -hmm. this takes us then. <laughs> To episode two, the headband. <laughs> the worst title. You're <laughs> Why are you giggling already? Because this is just such a weird episode. <laughs> it is okay. It's it is a strange episode. It's a strange episode. But we'll we'll dig into it. But first, let's unwrap it here. Uh, episode two, the headband, is written by John O'Brien. Um, now, John O'Brien, he, uh, he hasn't written an episode since Avatar Day and, oh, The Library. Your favorite. <laughs> so, oh, no, excuse me. He did The Earth, he did the Earth King. Oh, okay. He did, he did, he did The Earth King. Yeah, because I recognize his name from a bunch of episode, uh, of season two episodes. In particular, I thought he did The Library. Um, so, yeah, written by John O'Brien, and it is directed by somebody brand new in season three i believe uh uh joaquin dos santos yeah i don't think i don't think he did any previous episodes did he um give me a second <laughs> i yeah this is his first one he directed according to my list so um yeah it's it's and it's it's well it's weird when like a new director comes in or a new writer comes in and we have an episode that's kind of like this where you kind of like tilt your head like huh okay <laughs> <laughs> interesting contribution okay so that's why i was getting it confused because he he was in the show before just not as a director he was a background designer for the tales of bossing say and a character designer for tales of bossing say so oh okay. he actually wow he directs some banger episodes later this season. That's awesome. See, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> like, I try not to judge newcomers on like a new episode because I'm like, eh, you never know what they're, what they're going to come up with. Um, I mean, for my all... favorite episodes. That's crazy. I can't wait. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, just looking over the list of episodes to come, I mean, he pretty much directs like every third episode for the entire uh, the entirety of season three. So expect to see his uh, his name coming up a lot here. Mm -hmm. um, the headband is animated by JM Animation. It aired on September 28th, 2007. And the IMDb rating of the headband is a mind-boggling 8.3 <laughs> out of 10. I know. Who's like, there's no way. Um, Truly the most epic episode of the, sea, of the series right? here. Totally not filler. Um, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Take us away for some banging fun facts there. All right. Um, the popular scene where Aang and Katara dominate the dance floor with a passionate acrobatic dance together is nicknamed by the fans as the Katango. Which is, <laughs> I've, I must say, I have never heard it called that before, but whatever. <laughs> it's so funny. That's like everyone, ca everyone calls it the Katango. And you're like, no, everyone doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> right, nobody does that. Um, <laughs> at least not that I've seen. 
second fun <laughs> fact is that Aang uses the belt from his Fire Nation school uniform as a headband and wears it with the emblem upside down. According to the Avatar extras for this episode, he does this to resemble his arrow. Which I noticed as a kid. I thought I was so smart because I noticed that none of the other headband or not headbands, but the other sashes that the kids are wearing, that they were upside down. I was like, oh, I got it. So he's wearing it upside down to look like the arrow. Ha, <laughs> so smart. <laughs> well, you're so much smarter than me because I didn't notice it at all oh, this really? entire time. <laughs> yeah. I, the, of all the things I could be looking at, I was not looking at his headband. I was looking at everything else. So good to know good to know so i will watch for it when i when i re-watch this episode i will be sure <laughs> to take note of that detail totally um our third and final fun fact is that the dance party scene in the basic plot of this episode is loosely based off the 1984 film footloose which i put that last because i knew that, that was just going to lead right into <laughs> the episode discussion but <laughs> so first and foremost i okay what are your thoughts on the film Footloose? Have you seen it? I haven't seen the film Footloose. I know, I know the. It's one of those movies that, like, you have through pop culture seen basically for, between forty and fifty percent of the movie just from clips and references right. and stuff. Like, I I watched um, when I watched uh, the Umbrella Academy on Netflix, which is one of one of three shows that I watched. They being the Umbrella Academy, Stranger Things, and Avatar: The Last Airbender. Um, <laughs> When when the, when uh, when uh, the season premiered, they had a footloose dance number in the first uh, first episode, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, this is hilarious!" And I recognized a whole bunch of things because cultural references. Mm -hmm. And when Aang is there in the school, like, but but you don't dance well. Like it's just a way you express your feelings. I'm like, "Oh my god, this episode is directed by Kevin Bacon." <laughs> So, funnily enough, I've only seen the original Footloose once, and I don't remember, like, anything about it. All I remember is that they had, like, obviously I remember the song Footloose because it's a banger, um, but in terms of, like, the actual story or any of the other songs, the only thing I remember is that Bonnie Tyler, I think that's her name, um, she, her I Need a Hero song was played in one of the scenes, and it was like the worst implementation of that song I've ever seen in my life. Like it is literally them doing a tractor race to that song. Like, excuse me? <laughs> I get so hyped because they were building up the, you know, the synth drums and everything. I was like, holy shit, it's I Need a Hero, one of my favorite songs. And then it's just them tractor racing. And I'm like, are you kidding me? I wanted a sick dance off. <laughs> Oh, it was the worst. Anyway, so yeah. Well, if you want, if you want, if if you want a sick dance off, then um, then watch episode one of the Umbrella Academy. Not a paid promotion. <laughs> Not a paid promotion. Um, yeah, I don't have <laughs> any strong feelings about Footloose other than their terrible use of "I Need a Hero." <laughs> <laughs> well, it, again, I know the cultural references and apologize apologies to any you know people who are listening who are both huge fans of Avatar The Last Airbender and also huge fans of Footloose. I know that that's a cross-section that is most of our audience, I'm sure. So, um, but yeah, no, I also am just like, hey, it's Footloose. Hey, hey I'm like, just like finger guns. They, it's kind of fun. It's, it's kind of fun. But I'll tell you what the episode really brings to the table most of all is number one, 
Um, the humor in this yes, episode is very funny. This episode, humor. it's got the jokes. This has one of the, if not the funniest joke, I think, in the entire Avatar series. <laughs> Can you guess which one it is? Oh gosh, there's a couple of them, but I'm gonna give you my favorite okay. one. I'm gonna give you my, I'm gonna give you my favorite one. My, my favorite one is where Aang is like trying to justify why he has to go to school. And he's like, and I guess I won't learn about the secret river that apparently goes right to the Fire Lord's house. And and Sokka just goes, hmm, I am a fan of secret rivers. <laughs> I love that one. <laughs> that is a good one. Um, but that's not the one I was thinking. My personal favorite mm-hmm. joke in all of Avatar is fire, Wang fire. This is my wife, Sapphire. <laughs> <laughs> That is the funniest shit. And then the continuation of the joke, like when Aang comes home from school and he's still wearing the mustache, he's go to your room. Yes. It's the funniest <laughs> thing to me. I don't know why. <laughs> Rachel and I reference that all the time. Like I'll just randomly text her, fire, wang fire. <laughs> oh my God. It is, Sokka is just a riot in this episode. He he really is great. It, I I also love, by the way, how they the, they're playing hide and explode yeah. in the Fire Nation schoolyard. And I don't know what in the world happened that day, but did you notice when Aang comes back, he's just got like blood on one side of. I think it was supposed to like, be like ash or like fire, you know, smoke or whatever. No, it's 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 no, no, it's blood. It's blood. It's blood. Goldie, but take a look at the blood on the Avatar. I say, Avatar, that is a lot of blood. Good sir, that's a lot of blood. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, no, it's it's weird because I love two-thirds of this episode. Um, Up until the dance party, I think it's actually a pretty good episode um, because I really like seeing like normal life in the fire nation, like kids going to school Mm -hmm. and like them just being out in the town center and like, you know, trying to buy food, which is, it's funny that like basically all they eat is meat and Aang's a vegetarian. (laughs) I'll just go get some lettuce out of the This is why I love this. This this is why I love the fire nation so much. (laughs) Just give me meat all the time. Sokka's right at home. I know. Right. Killer fashion, great food, (laughs) a beautiful location. Shopping. Yeah. Shopping, me, hot girls, literally hot girls. I mean, I could live in the Fire Nation. I've only been praising the Fire Nation since like day two day of the podcast. So, <laughs> right? yeah. Um, call me out. But uh, yeah, so I really like just seeing, you know, the Ang, the Ang, the gang going about daily life in the Fire Nation. Just <laughs> the Ang. The Ang gang. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and I love obviously when they get the new clothes because they all look amazing. Um, Katara in particular mm-hmm. looks amazing with her hair down and just the, the whole get up. She looks amazing. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, yeah, and then Aang gets pulled into school because he stole one of the Fire Nation uh, uniforms as his outfit, which mm-hmm. I think is very funny. <laughs> like, out of all the clothes he could have picked, he stole, you know, this poor kid's uniform. <laughs> and um, wouldn't it figure, right? Right. And they think that he's playing hooky, which is very funny. Um, so yeah and he gets to see and this is also a great glimpse into like how much the fire nation's propaganda has like like infiltrated the minds of these young kids and you know this the the whole like picture of fire lord ozai in the back of the classroom and everything yeah and then not knowing about the airbenders not having a, a formal military like that was all great 
the immersion into fire nation culture is also just from a narrative standpoint is great that they saved it for last because we've gotten quite a bit of a look into you know the the water tribes and and the air nomads and of course we got more than more than my fill of the dirt nation in season two and but given the fact that we're coming up to um number one the confrontation the inevitable confrontation with the fire lord but also the fact that we are now you know zuko has returned home and we're going to see a lot about Zuko personally, but now that we're actually, our feet are actually in Fire Nation territory, we're also drinking in more of the, what kind of culture did Zuko grow up in that contributed to him being the way he is, contributed to Azula being the way she is, what sort of background did uh, Uncle Iroh have, characters that we know a lot about, three characters with all three very different personalities, but they were all born here in the Fire Nation, and if there's any one thing that we've learned repeatedly throughout the show is that you can't judge anybody just from where they're from, or, or you know, or their, their nationality, you can't judge them by that. The jet did it, and it got him into loads of trouble and fed his prejudice. You know, Katara even did it. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really good to see kind of a peek behind the curtain because, like I said, I feel like throughout the whole series, um, Katara and Sokka especially are having their preconceived notions about you know other cultures, especially the Fire uh, Nation, kind of cha- challenge in a way. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really good because it really opens their eyes to see that, yeah, these, a lot of, most of the people in the Fire Nation are just normal people just living their life. And, you know, they, they may be brainwashed a bit, but, you know, they're, they're not, yeah, they're not inherently bad people. Um, They're not bad. They're just misguided. Exactly. Um, So, yeah, I, I really like that that's kind of. To me, that's the most important thing that the episode brings to the table is just them getting out into the world and seeing that, yeah, these people are not our enemy. Um, yeah. And just living amongst them. But uh, they just need to learn how to dance. Exactly. Just like the greatest superhero of our time, Kevin Bacon, taught us. Yes. What's the line from Guardians? We're a great hero named kevin bacon <laughs> <laughs> yes where they're like in uh what is it in uh infinity war where where they're talking to thor and he's like what's the avengers like oh it's a collection of the earth's greatest heroes kevin bacon uh he might be on the team i don't know it's yes. been a while since i've been there <laughs> i love it <laughs> uh yeah it's because the dance stuff it's just it's kind of superfluous like i think people who are really into footloose i feel like we must get a lot more out of it than i do or you do um it must be a reference to a whole bunch of things that like if we were big fans we probably noticed and appreciated a lot more um i mean it's fun i mean it's fun and and i think it (laughs) creates yeah it is it creates it creates a good opportunity for you know the the ang and katara ship to to you know get stretch its sails out a little bit further into out to sea and has some nice some nice moments with the two of them it's just i i feel like i feel like it didn't really hit enough of the right notes for me because i couldn't it's kind of like it's it's light and the whole thing was so light that it almost like i feel like it didn't deliver the 
punch that I was looking for and that I've come to expect between Ian and Katara scenes. And so while I could see it being sort of like a dream for Ian and Katara shippers, they're like, oh, look, they have a dance together. Look how nice this is for them. Time and a dance. They never get to do this stuff. Look how cute they are. Right. Yeah, sure. But like, I just feel like it didn't really do much to propel it forward. I'm probably offending the other half of the fandom when I say that. But like, it was fine. It was nice. I just didn't feel like it was anything super out of the ordinary and special. So, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think it's really cute, and it's well animated mm -hmm. when they have their little dance. But even more than just the Katara and Ang stuff, I just feel like they could have done something more with, like, freeing this, you know, these school kids from, like, you know, their, their restrictive upbringings or whatever. Like, instead of doing a dance party. You know, I almost wanted to see that game of hide and explode. I'm really sad that we didn't get to see it. Like, right. I'd love to have just seen Aang, Katara, Toph, and Sokka just kind of chilling and hanging out with these kids, like fellow peers. Because um, they never mm -hmm. get to be kids. That's the sad thing about them. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. you know, I think that it's not a bad thing that they, you know, have a dance party, obviously. But I feel like they could have done something even more to just kind of, I don't know, just hang out with these kids. Um, but on a completely different note, so that's that's kind of the A story is, you know, the, the dance party and the Fire Nation mm -hmm. school and all that. But on the other hand, we've got a much more somber thing with Zuko and Iroh. Um, because this is what you were talking about <laughs> in the previous episode. Yeah, you know, it does it does pick up what I was what I was saying earlier about, you know, Zuko has this real conflict in in the way that he's emotionally presenting himself. Like I said, you know, he talks to Azula and he puts up this real strong aggressive front, but then he has that conflict and that vulnerability that comes out. Well, you know, I'd mentioned that that he's without Uncle Iroh, he's without his guide, his mentor, and his friend. And so now finally he we see him reunited with him and he wants his help. He wants his guidance. He wants his friendship. You know, he's lacking that because it's all his own fault too. Right. You know, but but then, you know, we see him reach out, but then when he gets no response from Iroh, because why should Iroh respond to him? Mm -hmm. You know, he's, we see him lash out. Again, he's, he doesn't know how to be right now. He, he just, there's, he's at war with himself. And we see him just lash out at Iroh and say all these hurtful things. And, and you know, you're crazy, he says. And it's like, <laughs> I'm sorry, Zuko, you need to check yourself. You're the one who's acting a little crazy right now, buddy. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I think. But I guess walking in on your sister while she's being weird and strangely provocative, <laughs> it, it, that'll, that'll unnerve anybody, I guess. Right. Yeah, no, I think that for Zuko, he's very much projecting. <laughs> like, this is a perfect example of projecting one's, you know, feelings onto another. Um, and I I love, again, the visuals of these of these scenes because... I don't know if you noticed the first time, but maybe if you do go back and rewatch, which, you know, uh, but if you just rewatch the scene, you can see that the way that they shoot it is that Zuko is the one that is shot from behind bars. Iroh is never shot from behind bars, only Zuko. And Iroh is always in the light. Mm -hmm. Zuko's in the dark. So it's just mm -hmm. like, I did notice that it's, it's brilliant. Um, and I just, I love that. It's so simple and so subtle. And yet, it's so powerful. Um, 
And part of the reason why Iroh never talks to him in this episode, and we've mentioned this before, is that Mako, the voice actor for Iroh, died um, before season three started production for the voice actors. And so this was kind of, in a way, a workaround. But also, I think it really works for the story. It's very powerful that Iroh, you know, who has been Zuko's biggest supporter and, you know, lifeline, is like, this is where he kind of draws the line. Like, you know, it's and it's really sad because we see how much that weighs on him when Zuko leaves and you just see that single tear, you know, slide down his cheek. Mm -hmm. You can tell so badly that he wants to help Zuko, but he knows that he has to let him figure it out yeah. on his own because that's the only way. Like It hurts him to be silent yeah. because Uncle Iroh has always been the voice of anything, of guidance, of comfort, of reason, anything that is that Zuko needed but never asked for himself Iroh would step forward and he would speak up even when even when Zuko would tell him to shut up or that he wasn't helping mm -hmm. you know he always gave his unsolicited guidance his unconditional love you know his his unappreciated care you know all of those things that he would give him he, he never had to ask for it mm -hmm. and now that he's turned his back on all of it he doesn't get it even when he asks for it even when he yells and screams for it yeah. because he's rejected it can't go back you can't have your you can't have your fire cake and eat it too right yeah it's it's really powerful um and this just kind of feeds into what we were saying uh, about the last episode with Zuko and how he just feels so stuck and confused and like he's gotten everything he's wanted but it's not at all how he thought it was gonna be and like it's mm -hmm. it's a very rough place to be and you know, again, he's seeking that sort of guidance, that light at the end of this dark tunnel mm -hmm. that he's in. And it's not it's not helping. He's because I refuses yeah. to help him. Um, but again, it's completely justified. And it ultimately is the right thing that Iroh does because Zuko does need to figure it out on his own. And he does eventually. But um, mm -hmm. yeah, it's 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 very powerful. And uh and then that leads us directly into the vine, the final scene of the episode, where Zuko hires a hitman, <laughs> <laughs> which is so it's so random. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I don't because I'm obviously coming at this from like hindsight, obviously, but um, yeah, it's it is kind of funny because like <laughs> he is so convinced that Aang is alive just because Azula's gotten into his head and like, he's like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to hire someone to go kill him. Cause I can't handle this anymore. <laughs> like I'm literally, I'm losing sleep over this. Yeah. You ever have days like that? You ever have days where you betray your uncle back into the hands of your strange psychopath sister so she can help you make amends with your father, but the 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 the, the other half of your dyad in life, that bald kid who you were hired to kill like three years ago, can't get out of your head, so you sneak into a back alley and hire a hitman? Yeah, because I've had days like that. Oh, totally relatable. It's like every other Wednesday. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, and believe me this mysterious hitman will definitely be back um and new characters staring menacingly into the camera just scowling directly <laughs> eye contact with us it's like a theme in season three i'm seeing they never <laughs> you're gonna say they would never come back that'd be so funny if like he hired him and he just never showed up he took the money <laughs> 
<laughs> the one character in Avatar that subverts all of our expectations. I need you to kill the Avatar. Giant eight foot tall man. It's just like, nah, bye. I'll take that paycheck and run. Um, that would have been hilarious, honestly. <laughs> Overall, um, what would you rate this episode? <laughs> it's a it's a really mixed bag because the the episode has some some good stuff. It's very, very funny, but again, like a whole third of the episode, I'm just like, eh, okay, why? I was just kind of waiting for stuff to happen. Mm-hmm. Again, it's nice, it's fun, it's light. Could have done some other stuff. It's not bad, but it's just like eh. Um and then they give us some really, really, really good stuff with Iroh and Zuko. I mean, not a ton of it, you know, but it's there. Um, I don't know. Overall, I give the episode a solid, like, 7 out of 10. You know what? I think I'm going to have to agree. This feels, despite the fact that it is set in the Fire Nation, this feels very much like a season one episode um, where we're just kind of visiting a town and we're having a little fun adventure. And there's a side stuff with Zuko and Iroh. Like, it feel, it gives me season one vibes. <laughs> kind of like... Yeah, Avatar yeah. Day episode did from season two. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, you know, not the worst, obviously, but I definitely feel like it is not up to par with the other episodes from season three. So I'm going to give it a seven out of eight. A seven out of eight. <laughs> seven out of ten. A seven out of eight. <laughs> it's near perfection. <laughs> <laughs> We're reading the episodes. I, I, I give this episode 25 out of 30, my good man. <laughs> Flavio Hotman. It also gave us that. So. <laughs> it did. It did. Um, yeah. So I mean, I feel like I feel like season three is off to uh, off to a running start. Um, you know, a really really strong emotional episode, and then a sort of a light sort of fillerish episode. Um, yeah, you know, and you know, we all know that the drama is going to uh, continue building, and it's definitely set a lot of things in motion with with Zuko and Iroh where Aang is going to get to and where his friends will will uh how how deep into the fire nation that they'll go so yeah again i was really really waiting for this so it is it is hotly anticipated for me and until the next episode stay flaming that's all for today to all of our listeners thank you so much for tuning in we'd love to hear your thoughts on this episode so feel free to leave a review or comment follow the podcast give us a good rating and all that good stuff you can find us on Twitter at Millwood and Micah, and please follow our Instagram at Millwood and Micah Podcast. Thanks again, and we'll be back in the next episode.